Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Multi-Site Masters podcast. This is the podcast series that explores the art of leading and growing multi-site businesses, especially in the hospitality and retail sectors. So my name is Lee Sheldon and I'll be your host for today's episode. I'm also co-founder of the MMU Training and Development Consultancy, in which we're dedicated to helping managers achieve consistent operational excellence, leading to sustained superior performance. So welcome everyone to actually a little bit of a different episode of the Multisite Masters podcast. The good news, and we'll start with really good news, is you're not going to have to listen to me for very long, because today I'm handing over to my good friend and colleague, Mr. Andy Ball. Now, Andy, we've heard from on a couple of occasions now, talking about Net Promoter Score, talking about how operators can use it, and also talking about operational excellence and local store marketing. But today, Andy, in his dual role as co-founder of MMU, but also founder of his own marketing agency, Salient Marketing, he's going to be interviewing a colleague uh, around the topic of innovate or die. Now, that sounds a bit extreme. So, Andy, hello. Welcome to Multisite Masters. What's innovate and die all about? Hello there, Lee. Uh, Well, yeah, thank you very much. An opportunity to discuss innovate or die, something that... uh, Peter Drucker, the the management guru, who basically shaped much of the business thinking that we we take for granted during the in the twentieth century, uh, he kind of coined that phrase and basically said that it's probably one of the most important things that all organisations need to do, uh, and we probably accept that it's highly important and that yes we should be doing it, but uh, how do you do it? How do you go about it? Why actually should you be doing it, Uh, particularly in the context that many clients say back to me, which is, but it's not broke, so I don't need to fix it. Why do I need to innovate? Um, And some of the uh, reasons why people do it or don't do it is they get stuck in this kind of sense of, I need a special skill set. I must have a, a dedicated department. I'm a small organization, not a large organization, so how can I innovate? I don't have the resources to do it. So are there things that different organizations can learn from each other? And actually, most importantly, from an operational point of view, should it be operators that also innovate or should they provocatively just leave it to marketing? Well, I don't know the answers to all of that. Uh, So I'd like to uh, introduce our expert that's gonna help us walk us through some of these issues. Philip Marks, a strategic marketing consultant uh, with a large range of experience that he's going to tell us about. Welcome, Philip. Hello, Andy. Uh, Good morning to you and thank you for having me with you today. Uh, Well, my pleasure, Philip. I mean, give us a little bit of background um, first off about uh, your own experience with innovation in the organizations that you've worked for. Well, I think firstly, I'd say that I've worked in Uh, food sector marketing for many years and had an awful lot of fun uh, working with some big brands, Ellis Kitchen, Kikaman Foods and McCormick and their stable of brands. But I've also worked in a multi-unit environment. Now, the nature of the brands that I've worked with have at times required innovation, maybe to open doors if core products aren't selling, maybe just to drive more profit. So in my time uh, within the multi-unit business, I launched the flavoured pastry pasty, which is something that I saw just using my eyes and observing what else is out there in the world. 
that came from uh, flavoured breads, but also from walking around supermarkets and seeing what other solutions were available that I could mould my products to. So that sounds, Philip, like um, you know you, you've taken a, a, a classic sort of entrepreneurial approach to things, whereby you've looked for inspiration from outside your own particular uh, sphere of expertise, uh, but also thought very much about how an existing business is operating uh, and thought about new solutions. But just a question to ask you on that one: um, you know, why is it, Philip, you feel that? Um, some businesses innovate well and some don't. I mean, I can think of an example like uh, Dyson, for instance, that you know James Dyson kind of came out of nowhere and totally revolutionized um, the way that people do their vacuum cleaning. Um, do you have any other examples yourself? Well, I think Dyson is a very good example. Uh, and then obviously lots of others. What Dyson will have internally is the right structure in place that allows people to be creative without uh, being worried about the consequence of fear of failure but there are other great examples google have pushed the boundaries of course of online search with uh, seo and adwords and analytics those are good examples but of course coca-cola who uh, you know one of the world's biggest companies have done some great innovation but of course have also failed at innovation so even the big companies don't get it right but when they get it right by god it works yeah absolutely absolutely i mean uh kind of you can sort of see that some innovations are just so groundbreaking that um you know when when hoover created uh, probably the, the the most ubiquitous vacuum cleaning brand, um, you know, it's stuck ever since, isn't it? I still hear people say, I'm going to do the hoovering. You know, they don't say, I'm going to do the Dysoning. So uh, we've kind of yet to see that creep into the English language. Oh, absolutely. And, that, and, that's, and that, uh, that hoovering phrase has been with us, what, 70, 80 years, maybe. And, and that sticks around. That innovation was so groundbreaking. You know, Google, of course, is another one. You don't do an internet web search anymore. You Google things. You don't send messages anymore. You WhatsApp. It's not to say, of course, that businesses like Dyson haven't come up with great innovation or continue to come up with great innovation. But that first one that made that first breakthrough has, I suppose, that advantage. Their brand name will be used forever. Yes, absolutely, I suppose, until something else possibly comes up and usurps it. But as you say, you get it right and you get it right uh, in a big way. It kind of stays forever, doesn't it? So, I mean, I'm kind of always struggling as to why, for example, some organizations seem incredibly adapt to, uh, and adept at moving uh, from kind of one thing that they do to another. And it kind of brings me to um, that, that great business thinker, uh, Simon Sinek, um, who uh, we at MMU have ever have often referred back to. And, and he talks about understanding the organizational why or the purpose of an organization and um, it, he kind of references the fact that many organizations know kind of what they do and they know how they do it but not many truly understand the rationale behind why they exist to do it and I suppose I can think of various examples but um, 
yeah, I suppose Apple would be a good one in that sense. Uh, you know, from your point of view, Philip, thinking about Apple, um, it, it, does it seem natural that they go from being laptop producers down to iPhone producers? Oh, well, it's interesting, isn't it, actually, because the uh, laptop computers, they were struggling really to make inroads versus Microsoft um, and IBM, who were the, the, the dominant companies. And so I suppose there was a need internally to innovate for them to succeed. Now, they obviously had the right structures and processes and mentality, and they stayed in the tech area, but they had the need to innovate. But importantly, they took it slowly and they got it right. What uh, we can see from the relaunch of the Coke recipe 20, 30 years ago is that was a panicked reaction. Pepsi was chipping away at a very dominant Coke. They were eating away at market share and Coke blinked first and they panicked a little bit and the change of recipe didn't work. Whereas Apple's has absolutely worked. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's fascinating, isn't it? When you think about other companies um, like uh, Gateway, for example, and Dell um, that uh, are well renowned in their own spheres for things like flat screen TVs and PDAs that they wanted to do, but couldn't actually deliver it. Their, their own products themselves gave them total credibility to be able to do it. But the why, the emotional kind of link and the purpose of actually what those two companies stood for was lost on their customer. They were very much mono brand in terms of or, or mono kind of channel uh, in the way that they were perceived. And the end result of that was people just didn't get them and, and therefore rejected the moves that they made into those two new areas. Yeah, absolutely. Understanding the why. Is, is, Sorry, is really crucial. No, no, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, I just wanted to um, think about an example that, uh, in fact, Lee Sheldon has given to me on, on a previous uh, occasion, and, and that's from his own experience with uh, Blockbuster Video. When you think, you know, th the biggest video company uh, sort of rentals and, and, and latterly purchases of, of uh, film material, um, you, you kind of felt that they will be around forever and a day. And and uh, within a very short period of time, in, in, in a matter of years, they'd been uh, usurped by different new formats coming out. And I suppose what that could be argued to be caused by is a detachment from what was the, the changing needs of the customer experience. Uh, the way that people wanted to consume their media meant a move away from traditional uh, videos and DVDs. What does that make you kind of think about, Philip, uh, in terms of how some people don't innovate properly if they innovate at all? Yeah, and I think that's interesting. The, the why pit is important. The, having the, the vision to be able to look ahead to see what's happening is very, very difficult. And not a lot of people have that ability to be able to do that. Blockbusters is one of that, you know, Toys R Us recently was another one. And, you know, there are countless other examples. So having that vision, but it all comes back to the internal structure of the business. Is that in a right place to be able to adapt quickly enough to the changes that are happening? Uh, going back to purpose, the other great example is TomTom. Tom. We all had TopTom stuck to our windscreen for five, six years. All of a sudden, Apple has Google Maps. 
we don't need TomTom anymore. The purpose for that business had to change. Um, it was no longer developing the, the hardware, it was developing the software. So they needed to adapt and they did it quickly and they did it well. Yeah. Uh, I suppose if we if we come back to the um, the the reason why Blockbuster failed, it, it wasn't because people gave up looking at uh, movies um, and uh, playing games. Um, in fact, if anything, people are doing that even more. It's actually that they didn't anticipate the the uh, the media channel changing. And at the end of the day, I suppose what they weren't doing was thinking back to the customer experience. So. Yeah, can you give me perhaps an example, Philip, where you see uh, how technology is being used to actually harness and enhance the customer experience? Yes, yeah, certainly. The, the area that I've worked in the food sector for the majority of my career has seen big, big changes because of technology. So starting out with obviously websites, moving into e-commerce, so where you can interact and you can purchase, you can talk to people online, to having apps where you can order things online as well, scanning things. That really has revolutionized the sector, even going so far as Amazon and the Amazon Go store, where there's contactless payments. You take something off the shelf and your account is deducted. Now it's not without its, its failings, but it's going in absolutely the right direction to make things more convenient. So technology really is changing the way people consume, as you said, Andy, media and people buy things and having the ability to see what's coming is the difficult bit. So, I mean, I, I often come across uh, clients and, and other organizations that um, are very, very keen to uh, embrace technology because they see it as the solution. Um, and uh, I'm sure I've heard you speak about the fact that business fundamentals are really, really important. Um, why is it that organizations that sometimes leap on the technology bandwagon uh, kind of get it so wrong? Yeah, I think it goes back a little bit to Coke. That wasn't technology-based, the new recipe, that was panic. So there's a bit of a fear that they're going to miss out on something because competition is doing something that they're not now. It could be that their business actually doesn't need technology. It probably does, but it could be that the nature of the business, it doesn't actually need it or not quite in the same way. But doing something because of uh, panic is not the right reason to do it. Absolutely, you need to understand what you're there to do. Get your fundamentals right. So let's say in, in the convenience sector, it would be availability of product. Walking into a store, you want to know that you're going to get everything on your shopping list. Good service. You know, those are the fundamentals, because if you get those wrong, and people don't have a good view of your brand, it doesn't matter if you have a technology or not. Absolutely. I mean, we see many companies spending thousands of pounds on things that, uh, frankly, look to be the right solution, but actually are quite um, really badly thought through. Um, and and uh, I suppose at the end, they end, end up using <clears throat> more resources to actually use the tool and the technology than they actually get from the benefit out of using it in, in the first place. So uh, yeah, it could be, could be uh, really uh, difficult. Um, absolutely. I, I, absolutely, I think though, there can be um, uh, successes that come out of failures. 
Um, however, you know, some products that were developed for a particular reason in the first place may not have launched or may have launched for a different reason. You know, 3M, uh, you know, a history of innovation in American business has come up with products like the post-it notes, I think was developed for something else in the first place and then became the post-it note. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I, it was something to do with the adhesive uh, that they were looking for. And uh, I think some bright spark suddenly realized that um, if you wanted to be able to put something on with a sort of a low tack level of adhesion, um, this was absolutely perfect for creating stationery that could be there as an memoir that could be lifted and moved easily that didn't literally rip up the surface that it was on. And hey, presto, you know, kind of uh, the 3M uh, post-it note was produced. And it almost kind of feels to me that successful organizations that innovate well are those that are prepared to give it a go. I think absolutely those are the ones that are prepared to give it a go. The management buy into uh, doing things slightly differently. They bring people into the organization who think slightly differently, who don't mind disrupting things. You know, coming up with creative new products, that's great. And they'll have teams for that. But people who can come in and say, do you know what? That process that you're doing isn't working. We need to do it like this. These are the results that we're going to get. So innovating the processes are as important, if not more important, than the products themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I suppose one of the other uh, sort of issues that, that often comes up is that um, when companies do get to a certain size, uh, there is this fear of making a mistake. And I've seen it myself, um, be interested in your views on this one, Philip, that perhaps sometimes organizations try too hard. And what they come up with is something that they believe is the absolute finished article years after the original idea in a marketplace that perhaps has moved on. Yeah, oh, absolutely right. I think if you're going to innovate it has absolutely got to be relevant there's no point spending time and money on a solution that doesn't have a problem to solve and that's key but that comes back again to is the company and is the organization in the right place to take advantage of what's happening which goes back to the to the to the big point you were making Andy, which is why are we here where do we want to get to yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so just thinking about uh, smaller organizations, um, you know, many organizations that we work with say to us, you know, we, we're kind of, we're of a size, we know that what we do works, um, it seems to be something that carries on working for us. So how can we innovate? Is it something that they all need to think about or do they actually need to be, bring in disruptors and if they do kind of what's the risk to the business of doing that when perhaps it may be family run and you have a bright young thing come in with new ideas uh, these are the sorts of situations that we often have to deal with and can be quite problematic oh absolutely now obviously all businesses work at different speeds i've worked for large global organizations i've worked for small family businesses as well they work at different speeds and of course uh, the family business much more cautious than perhaps a large global organization but putting together the right team of people that i think is commonplace across big organizations and smaller organizations as well 
you don't want someone who's going to upset the apple cart entirely but someone who's going to ask probing questions that might eventually lead to that that change in the business culture it's not something that's going to happen overnight if you are uh, risk averse but steadily and surely and slowly those kind of people with that mentality will hopefully bring the business to the place it needs to be um, the fundamentals of the culture of the organization that would be a commonality as well mm. is the business in the right place you know you can have a large organization that's been very successful in the past but based on past parameters and a past context but going forward doesn't have a place because it isn't moving forward it isn't updating its processes and it isn't bringing in people who are asking the right kinds of questions absolutely so i suppose never more does it it ring true when we talk about innovate or die in that sense isn't it um it, you know that the tip of the iceberg is all that you can see but what's underneath it is a is a fundamental movement say in the market or the consumer in such a way that um, if you don't make changes uh, and anticipate that or be prepared to adapt then it, it ultimately leads to failure it leads to failure it leads to a race to the bottom i'd say and you can either i suppose take the route of slogging it out with everyone else who doesn't want to change or taking a little bit of a risk and finding a path through that's slightly less congested mm. so it, it, from what i'm getting here philip it, it kind of sounds to me that organizations don't have to have big dedicated resources it's really about a mindset that says okay um what can we do to improve upon what it is that we've just launched it's like this sense of continuous improvement it, absolutely and that's where the the right team comes into place because you want people who are going to uh, read about things that are happening in other sectors or in the sector that they're in who are going out to have a look at other products that have been launched and seeing how they can be adapted uh, the flavored pastry pasty that i launched for instance came from flavored breads another product uh, that i suggested to a supplier of my from italy balsamic vinegar supplier was to have a disposable dish for balsamic vinegar and olive oil to cater for the solution if you have a dinner party you want to dip bread in the business is now producing Using that product it's having those kinds of people with, with the right attitude to develop the opportunities with within mm -hmm. the sector that you operate in yeah absolutely absolutely so it sounds to me like being prepared to experiment quickly uh, being prepared to fail um, uh, and when I say fail it's about testing new ideas in the knowledge that not all of them are going to work seems to become something that encourages people to come up with new ideas and I suppose ultimately it's about having an organizational structure that recognizes the value of doing that so that everybody sees it as the right thing to do yeah a robust conversation is always necessary if you're going to put an idea on the table you need people to give you honest feedback you know the uh, when I worked with the multi-unit environment I submitted another idea which was called a sunroof pasty to the internal technical team and they said Phil it's just not going to work because of this this and this fine they're the experts on the technical side leave it it's not going to work and find another way to create don't give up because you have a failure just have the right mentality to drive you don't need big budgets i'd say you don't necessarily need big budgets to come up with the idea to 
go out and look what's happening. You just need the right processes and the right people. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose comes back to one of the things that you said earlier, which uh, I think is very true of, of groundbreaking innovation, and that is to look beyond what it is that your organization or your industry does to address certain problems. And um, I seem to recall that uh, the the um, the life flat um, beds, uh, the seats um, in, in uh, business class aircraft um, came from uh, yacht designs originally uh, in terms of the ergonomics and, and uh, the logistics of it all, which was quite a departure from the way that the airline industry had actually looked at the issue in, in, in the past. Yes, absolutely right. Looking beyond what you know uh, will always give ideas and provoke thought. And then you just take it back to what you've got and see if it can be applied, if it's relevant and if, of course, it's going to work. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I suppose, you know, coming back to the, the central premise here, it, it's really about understanding what you do and why you do it. I think uh, it's been very aptly put as if you've got the clarity of your why, your purpose, and you've got the discipline of how you do it uh, and the consistency of what you do, it creates, as you say, the, the fundamentals of a successful business around which innovation becomes enhancing as opposed to destructive uh, and something that we shouldn't be afraid of. Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, don't panic when you innovate. Obviously, don't do it because you're, you're, you're fearful of something because it won't work because it's, it'll be quick. It won't have been thought through effectively enough. Fear shouldn't be the motivator. I think the motivator ought to be how can we make the lives, the experiences better for the people who are buying our, our products? They will, of course, be a commercial benefit to that. So it has to be the right thing to do. Yeah, well, you know, that really resonates, I think, with kind of what we, we think at, at MMU. And that's very much about putting the customer experience at the heart of everything that an organization does. And perhaps it's, it's the case that if you take your eye off that, um, one can continue doing the same thing the same way and therefore scratch your head as to why it may not be working anymore. Uh, and, and therefore keeping that at, at, at the center of what you do, understanding your purpose is really, really fundamental to getting it right. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I've lost uh, track of the number of times a, a, a previous colleague of mine said, you keep doing the same things the same way, you're going to get the same results. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, you've, you've been very clear, Philip, I think, about, um, you know, the, the cultural requirements of an organization to actually encourage um, innovation. Um, have you got any thoughts on the practical things that people could do within an organization to actually capture and encourage innovation? I think there are basic things, uh, suggestion boxes, of course, which is risk-free. Normally, they don't require anyone to put their name against it, but that's a risk-free way of doing it. I think an open discussion amongst, amongst team members where you can have you know, a sort of casual chat where there's not too much pressure. It's really just a little bit of a brainstorming exercise that nothing necessarily rides on it. So no one feels and that they've got to come up with the groundbreaking idea. 
that's going to change the business. Mm. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. I think, um, like most people, once they really understand the purpose of a business and their role within it, um, there's something very, very empowering about that, that actually turns everybody within that organization from being just those that do a particular thing to feeling like they're part of the entire process and the enterprise such that they feel able and willing to actually contribute ideas uh, in an atmosphere that recognizes and rewards it. And by that, not necessarily monetary reward, but actually the recognition for coming up with a good idea is often as much as it takes to keep people very, very motivated. Absolutely right. I think organizations should absolutely do what they can to empower people and give people confidence. I think that's another important factor here. A lot of people might be fearful because of culture or because of risk of failure, but give people the confidence to come up with the ideas. And then if they feel um, that they've got the skills to do it, to go and take that forward, build the process, take the right steps, and perhaps even launch the product. But having the empowerment and the confidence is also key here. The What's going on inside the brain are these people in the right place to be able to do it do they have the confidence yeah absolutely well it sounds to me that um uh at the one level the the concept of innovating in itself from what you've described philip is incredibly simple but actually there's a lot of structural things to be mindful of in an organization regardless of the size um but most importantly, what I am getting is that uh, you don't have to be a multinational with a dedicated department with lots of budget to actually be a successful innovator. What we've heard, I think, so far is that some big companies, and we've looked at the Coca-Cola example and even Blockbuster, for example, big companies, huge amount of resource, and yet have either failed at least once or not actually succeeded and died in the other case. So coming back to bigger organizations obviously there has to be some positives there that smaller organizations can learn from you've talked about the cultural issues are there any other process driven things that big companies do that smaller companies could learn from well, well i'm understanding the consumer as well you know big companies will have consumer insight departments They'll sift through reams and reams of data. They'll do focus groups to understand what people are thinking, to get feedback. So building a case to give more and more confidence that your product actually is going to work. But above all of that is how are people interacting? So if you have an idea and you want to launch it, get some people in a, in a room, see how they're interacting with the product. It's not expensive. You know, focus groups, maybe £50 a person, £60 a person. It doesn't have to be expensive. See how they're interacting with the product. Because where that's really the key, because that will tell you if the person is emotionally connected with the product. And, of course, that emotional connection will hopefully lead to sales. If you're in a multi-unit environment, get out of the office, get out from behind the counter, and just take a seat where you are and watch people watch what they're buying, watch who they are, their demographic profile, how much they're spending, the questions that they're asking. All of this will help 
give you the data that's required to hopefully support what it is you're looking to create. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, everybody has got access to the basics of, of doing business. They know what their sales are. They should know where the sales are coming from in terms of perhaps a menu mix or a range mix. Uh, they can see and observe the customers that are coming in. They can see how people are interacting with the whole customer journey, whether it is you know walking in through the door of a store or actually clicking onto a website. These things can be observed and understood. And actually, I suppose, getting into the meat of that uh, on an ongoing basis will just help understand what it is that people become less satisfied with or perhaps would like to have that would make the thing that they do easier. I suppose that as much as anything means that innovation, as you said right at the beginning, Philip, is, is not just about product, but it's also about process. And marrying those two together is something that every business can do. Yeah, absolutely right. And it doesn't have to be difficult and it doesn't have to be expensive. Absolutely. Well, look, Philip, I, I think that's really, really very, very interesting. Um, it reminds me of an adage that uh, has often been used, but there are three types of company. Uh, there are those that make things happen. There are those that watch things happen. And there are those that just wonder what the hell happened. Uh, yeah. so, <laughs> so I suppose our message to everybody is uh, innovation. Yes, you need to do it. Don't be afraid of it. Don't let it overtake everything that you do. It shouldn't be the day job, but it's open to everybody. Learn from the processes that the larger organizations have and adapt them to suit yourself. Don't be afraid to ask questions management by walking about simply works and engaging in in an affordable and meaningful way with your customers doesn't actually have to be expensive and at the end of it all what we're really seeing is an opportunity to come up with and try lots of things and recognize that not all of them will work you know if you get one or two great ideas out of perhaps a hundred suggestions that could be the next new Dyson or the next new variant of a Coca-Cola that actually works um, and no disrespect to either of those brands in the in the way that I put that point so really that's absolutely helpful um, any sort of last thoughts on that Philip I, I think the, uh, everything you've just uh, said in the way of summary is absolutely right uh, the key thing of course is if you work in a multi-unit uh, environment and if you've got an idea or if you want to take that time speak to your speak to your line management speak to your operations manager if you're in a busy environment like that where perhaps you know uh, staff numbers are tight you might not get that opportunity but that discussion that initial discussion maybe the your ops manager can help find a way for you to do that absolutely well look philip this has been fascinating thank you ever so much for your perspective you. on this as a practitioner um philip uh, if people want to uh, follow this up with you directly how can they uh, best get in contact with you so uh, certainly so people can contact me andy uh, by email uh, so my email address is uh, philip d marks at gmail.com that's philip with one l and marks with an x at the end or on my linkedin page obviously Philip Marks, or mobile, which is 07974 346 422. 
That's fabulous. Uh, well, look, thank you so much indeed for that, uh, Philip. Really enjoyed it. And uh, I hope that's been a benefit to uh, all our listeners. I certainly have learned a lot. Thank you so much and goodbye. Thank you, Andy. So thanks again to Andy Ball and to Phil Marks for their conversation today about innovation. I have to say, not a huge amount to add to the great debate that they had, but I did think that point that Andy raised relating back to Simon Sinek's Start With Why and the importance of innovation being built and being consistent with and on the why of an organisation for credibility, I think is so, so important. It also reminded me of the story that Andy recalled uh, of my own experience of, a, of companies wondering what the hell happened, what, are they going to make things happen or just watch things happen, and the importance of being in that category of making things happen. You certainly can't stand still in today's marketplace. Thanks again to Phil Marks. You can see his contact details in the show notes along with my co-founder, Andy Ball. And as always, thank you to our producer, Sam Walsh, for putting together the episode. Finally, if you like the episode, if you like the MSM series, please help us to reach a wider audience by reviewing and leaving a rating on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you find and listen to your podcasts. Until the next episode, everyone, have a good time.